It is at this time of the year, this last month of the year, that people's minds begin to turn toward God. They turn toward God as a child. The world has determined that in the month of December, they will celebrate what they believe is the time of the birth of Jesus. Although the scriptures themselves give no date, no day, no month, nothing to indicate exactly when Jesus was born. The Bible does provide a narrative. We want to turn to that in Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. It says, It came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, everyone into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the, day, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. She brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them and the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And it came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem, and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste, and found Mary, and Joseph, and the babe, lying in a manger, and when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. When we read this revealed story from the mind of God, we are awed at the providence of God to provide for Joseph and his family to return to Bethlehem in fulfillment of prophecy. That prophecy being found in the book of Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 13, where he said, Hear ye now, O house of David, is it a small thing for you to weary men, but will ye weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. It's hard for us to grasp what Bethlehem was like and why there was no room for him. Here then is this family forced into humble circumstances at the time of his birth 
When we read several times in Luke's narrative that the baby was placed in a manger, that manger was a, a feeding trough, a feeding crib. The inn was a place of lodging. It could have been private, it could have been public. When we look at the accounts that we have historically for the type of dwellings that existed in that day, more than likely the living quarters were on the second floor. The first quarter, the first floor would have been an open patio area with some rooms to the back where people would have brought their animals in at night. And so that would have been the area on the first floor where the animals were that the couple and their child would have been resting. But we want to focus our attention tonight on one particular phrase that we find in Luke chapter 2. It tells us in verse 7 that the reason that they were there was because there was no room for them in the end. And that becomes the title of our lesson tonight. No room, no room for Jesus. For although people are very excited about celebrating what they believe is the time of the birth of Jesus, for the rest of the year, they have no room for him. And certainly during the time of Jesus, there were many that had no room for him. When we turn to Herod, there was no room in Herod's heart for Jesus or for anyone who would be proclaimed as king of the Jews. In Matthew's gospel, Matthew chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, it says, Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. When Herod the king heard these things, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said unto him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet. And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art not the least among the princes of Judah, for out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had privately called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child, and when you have found him, bring me word again that I may come and worship him also, But we know that that was not his intent. His intent was to find the child and to kill him. Beginning in verse 12, it says, Being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, speaking of Joseph and Mary and the child, they departed into their own country another way. And when they were departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, flee into Egypt. And be thou there until I bring thee word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. Verse 16, then Herod, when he saw that he was mocked of the wise men, was exceeding wroth and sent forth and slew all the children that were in Bethlehem and in all the coasts thereof from two years old and under. Herod was an evil man. He was a selfish man. There is nothing good that is here mentioned about him. He was not the rightful king of the Jews. 
And he clearly understood that when God said differently, that that would remove him, he sought then to kill the Son of God. What can you say about a man that would kill children, that would take the innocent and remove them from the face of the earth? There was nothing in Herod's heart but evil, and certainly there was no room for Jesus. But even among those that we might expect to have respect for the Son of God, there was no room in the hearts of the religious leaders of his day. In Matthew chapter 15, we begin reading in verse 1. <clears throat> then came to Jesus scribes and Pharisees, which were of Jerusalem, saying, Why do thy disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they wash not their hands when they eat bread. But he answered and said unto them, Why do ye also transgress the commandment of God by your tradition? God commanded, saying, Honor thy father and mother, and he that curseth father and mother, let him die the death. But ye say, Whosoever shall say to his father or his mother, It is a gift by whatsoever thou mightest be profited by me, and honor not his father or his mother, he shall be free. Thus have you made the commandment of God of none effect by your tradition, ye hypocrites. Well did Isaiah prophesy of you, saying, This people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth, and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. Like Herod, they wanted to maintain the status quo, keep everything just as it is. But if they truly loved God, if they truly loved his word, they would have submitted to that word. Instead, time and time again, they sought to trap Jesus in order to prove that his teaching was wrong. Matthew chapter 19, verse 3, it says, The Pharisees came to him, tempting him. We have the account found in John chapter 8 where they laid a trap for him time and time again. Their determination was not to see the truth and conform to the truth, but to try and prove Jesus to be a false teacher. They were not interested in God's truth. They simply sought to destroy it. But even when we look at the leaders of these men, the chief priest, there was no place in the heart of the chief priest for Jesus. In John's gospel, in John chapter 7, beginning in verse 1, it says, After these things Jesus walked in Galilee, for he could not walk in Jewry because the Jews sought to kill him. It just simply means he stayed away from Judea and Jerusalem and his people. He stayed away from where the crowds were because they were seeking, the religious leaders were seeking to kill him. And so it simply says that in verse 1, but then to provide evidence for that, following up in verse 25, it said, Then said some of them of Jerusalem, Is not this he, speaking of Jesus, whom they seek to kill? Verses 45 and following. Then came the officers to the chief priests and Pharisees, and they said unto them, Why have ye not brought him? The officers answered, Never man spake like this man. Then answered them the Pharisees, Are ye also deceived? Have any of the rulers or of the Pharisees believed on him? But this people who knoweth not the law are cursed. It was just another way of them saying, These people are ignorant. They don't really know what's right. But then to put it squarely into the 
the hands of the chief priest we find in John chapter 11 upon the resurrection of Lazarus, how it was that these religious leaders were now frightened. They were concerned. They could not deny the power of God to resurrect the dead. In verse 49, one of them named Caiaphas, being the high priest that same year, said unto them, Ye know nothing at all, nor consider that it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people, that the whole nation should not perish. He went on to say, verse 53, Then from that day forth they took counsel together for to put him to death. Every step of the way, Jesus avoided their traps and he foiled their plans to take him or to show him as a false teacher. Angered, they sought any means they could to kill him. And the people knew it. You know, we, we don't often talk about this idea, but certainly as John reveals it, the people knew that the religious leaders were seeking to kill Jesus. Is not this he that they are seeking to kill? And so when Jesus has these conversations with them in John's gospel, and they say, you're crazy, you're a liar, we're not trying to kill you, it was known that that counsel could not be kept private. And so everyone knew that was the plan. And here the chief priest just finally says, you know nothing at all. This is a good thing that we're going to do. We'll kill him, but it's going to save us. You know, that's, that's a hallmark that we find in dealing with evil. It's willingness to sacrifice you, to have you deal with harm as long as it's not inconvenienced itself. But these individuals had one last opportunity to repent of their evil. In Matthew 27, we have the account beginning in verse 19. It says, when he, speaking of Pilate, was set down on the judgment seat, his wife sent to him saying, have thou nothing to do with that just man? For I've suffered many things this day in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and elders persuaded the multitude that they should ask Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor answered and said to them, whether of the twain will ye that I release unto you? They said, Barabbas. Pilate saith unto them, what shall I do then with Jesus, which is called Christ? They all say unto him, let him be crucified. And the governor said, why? What evil hath he done? But they cried out the more saying, let him be crucified. These were hearts devoid of love, devoid of truth and devoid of the word of God. And there was no place in their hearts for Jesus. But we also find that there's no place for Jesus in the doctrines of men. Again, we look at the account that we read in Matthew chapter 15, where Jesus said that they were hypocrites because they emphasized their traditions. And in emphasizing their traditions, they destroyed the commandments of God or they made the commandments of God of none effect. And so he said in verse 9 of Matthew 15, in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrine the commandments of men. 
Some deny the virgin birth. But it's God's evidence that he is the Christ. We read that in Isaiah chapter 7. God said this would be a sign. So God provided a sign, something that man could not imitate to provide evidence of the divine hand at work. But some want to deny that. Some deny that he is God in the flesh. But once again, they will call him Jesus because he is Savior. Emmanuel because he is God who came in the flesh. Some deny the resurrection. They deny the concept of eternal punishment. They deny the plan of God for salvation by believing that all one has to do is believe in their heart and they'll be saved. When Paul was in the city of Athens in Acts chapter 17, he preached unto them about Jesus. And he said the evidence of that was God resurrecting him. In Acts 17, beginning at verse 30, it says, And in the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Because he hath appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained. Whereof he hath given assurance unto all men that he hath raised him from the dead. And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. Later, when Paul was before the council of the Sanhedrin in Acts chapter 23, and again he talked about the resurrection of the dead. It tells us in Acts 23 verse 8, the Sadducees say there is no resurrection of the dead. But Jesus said that those who deny him have no hope of eternal life. John's Gospel, John chapter 8, verse 24, I said, Therefore unto you that ye shall die in your sins, for if ye believe not that I am he, ye shall die in your sins. Men with their modern doctrines deny the commandments of God and make of none effect God's word. Thus they have no place in their doctrines for Jesus. But we also find that there's no room in the homes of many families today. Many families are broken. Many families are divided. Many families have no concept of what it means to be a child of God, believing that everybody has a right to do whatever they want and that God will somehow be accepting of that. In Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse 21, Paul was inspired to write, Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle, or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish, so ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. Men today don't honor their wives. They refuse to treat their wives with love and with respect because they've pushed Jesus out of their hearts. Women don't honor their husbands. 
They've pushed Jesus out of their hearts. Children don't obey their parents because they have no room for Jesus in their life. And so we find families who do not pray together, families who do not study God's word together, families who do not worship together. We find homes where sin rules because there is no place for Jesus there. Now some, in contrast to this, can find room for Jesus, but it's not the type of room that we would want to give him. Some can find room for Jesus by taking his name in vain. In Exodus chapter 20 and in verse 7, God said, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. So God said, don't do it. You won't be held guiltless if you take my name in vain. The writer of Psalms said, Psalm 139 verse 20, They speak against thee wickedly, and thine enemies take thy name in vain. There are many today who use the Lord's name as a cuss word, as a byword, as something that flows from their lips without thought, without intent. And in no other way do they use his name. They don't reverence him and they don't respect him. They find room for the name of Jesus, but only to use it as they deem fit. Then there are those who find room for Jesus, but only because their desire is to make fun of him, to mock him or mock his people. Job chapter 13, beginning in verse 7. It asks the question, Will ye speak wickedly for God and talk deceitfully for him? Will ye accept his person? Will ye fight with God? Is it good that he should search you out? Or as one man mocketh another, do you so mock him? There are those today that that is exactly what they do. They mock God. Surely he will not do this. He has said it, but I don't believe that he will do it. While Jesus was hanging on the cross, Matthew chapter 27, verse 41, says, Likewise also the chief priests mocking him with the scribes and elders said, He saved others, he himself he cannot save. If he is the king of Israel, let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him. Yep, people today are willing to mock him Laugh at the idea that God came to the earth. Laugh at the idea that he died on the cross and was resurrected. Laugh at the idea that there is a plan for us, a way that we should live that honors God, that seeks his word, that seeks his counsel. They mock God when they say, every man in his own eyes, do what you so believe is right. Sadly, those of Jesus' day did eventually find room for him. They found room for him between two criminals, one on either side as he died on the cross. There's only one place that we need to find room for Jesus, and that is in a heart that submits unto him. 
In Romans chapter 6, verse 17, Paul said, But God be thanked that you were the servants of sin, but you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. When Jesus presented the parable of the sower, as we find the account in Luke's gospel in Luke chapter 8, he said in verses 5 through 8, A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell by the wayside. It was trodden down, and the fowls of the air devoured it. Some fell upon a rock, and as soon as it was sprung up, it withered away because it lacked moisture. Some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up with it and choked it. Other fell on good ground and sprang up and bare fruit a hundredfold. And when he had said these things, he cried, He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. But then he gave an interpretation of that. And he said in verse 15, But that on the good ground are they, which in an honest and good heart, having heard the word, keep it and bring forth fruit with patience. It is in the heart that the good seed is planted and that the good seed being nourished will grow. It is obedience to God then, according to his word, that sanctifies and cleanses that heart. Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and, and fear. How do we sanctify the Lord God in our hearts and be ready to give an answer? By studying his word and allowing that word to change us. Amen. That word changing us is possible. Paul, in writing to the Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 3 and in verse 17, he said that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God to change us, that we might understand what God's will is, that we can live it daily. And when we have found room for Jesus, then we are guaranteed in serving him, in obeying him, his promises, he will find room for us. John chapter 15, excuse me, John chapter 14, beginning in verse one, Jesus said, let not your hearts be troubled, Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. Jesus promises to abide with us now and in eternity. John 15, verse 10, If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. But he also promises us that if we turn from him, if we depart from him, if we reject his word, and we no longer abide with him, then we also will lose our place in heaven. Revelation chapter 21 
verse 24. It says, The nations of them which are saved shall walk in the light of it, speaking of heaven. And the kings of the earth do bring their glory and honor into it. And the gates of it shall not be shut at all by day, for there shall be no night there. And they shall bring the glory and honor of the nations into it. And there shall in no wise enter into it anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. Chapter 22, verses 14 and 15. Blessed are they that do his commandments, that they may have a right to the tree of life, may enter in through the gates into the city. For without are dogs and sorcerers and whoremongers and murderers and idolaters and so whoever loveth and maketh a lie. Those that will hold fast unto the end and hold on to God's word have a guarantee of an abiding with him now and for all eternity. A place with him. There is one more place where there's no room for Jesus and that was in the grave. Because on the third day, as he promised, he was resurrected. He is now ascended into heaven where he's seated on the right hand of the Father above, where he is King of kings, Lord of lords. He is our Savior, our Redeemer. He is our Mediator and our High Priest. From humble beginnings, born the son of a poor carpenter to the Son of God. From being born in a manger to sitting upon the throne in heaven. From finding no room for him at his birth to his reigning over heaven and earth. And if you can't find room for Jesus now, there'll be no room for you later. But Jesus came so that you would have room for him now and an abiding with him for all eternity. If you'll believe that Jesus is the Christ, confess him as such, repent of your sins, and be baptized for the remission of your sins, God will take the atoning blood of Jesus Christ, cleanse your soul spotless and free, make you his child, bring you into his household, where you receive all of his blessings now, and every assurance of life eternal. And if we can help anyone to obey the gospel tonight, please let us know while we stand and while we sing.